podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, how has your week been treating you? Um, I'm doing well, Josh. Thank you. Got back from California on a little vacation with the family. You know, the time change is a little rough sometimes mm-hmm. at readjusting, but I think we're good now. And mm-hmm. so back to stormy New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Um, listeners, the... Uh... The two heads of baseball trade values actually met up for the first time last Yay! week. Yay! It was it was a great time. We got some food, got uh got to hang out with some of uh, John's with John's kids, play some baseball. I only I only tore my hamstring in half. It wasn't ah! or anything, but nah. You had a wicked now. slider. You had a wicked slider. <laughs> it was it was a good time. It was good to get out, uh, especially in the nice California weather compared to the way things have been here in Arizona now that I'm back and the way I'm sure things have been out in, uh, out in Jersey with you. Yeah. Yeah. We've got some hurricanes coming. <clears throat> Good yeah. luck with those. All right. <laughs> um, we got a whole lot to talk about today. Um, we're actually starting as we, as we kind of alluded to on the last episode, it's, it's July now we're getting into actual trade season. And so we have some actual, uh, some transactions with names people might actually know for once. So <laughs> we're slowly creeping up on, on actual trades here. Uh, so we got a whole bunch of that. Um, we got a couple other tidbits of news here. We got two trades of the week this week, and we just finished our round of updates for the month of July. Uh, so we have everyone fully up to date now in the system. So we'll go through that, uh, point out some trends that we saw, some names that went up and down, that kind of thing, like we always do with our updates. So Lots to talk about in there. Let's jump right into it. Uh, let's start out here with uh, one of the one of the trades that I think caught me most off guard here. The D-backs traded Tim LaCastro to the New York Yankees in exchange for right-handed pitcher Keegan Curtis. And so the way this one worked out was $1.6 million in trade value for Tim LaCastro and 0.5 for Curtis. So a bit of a gap there, but still accepted by our model. Uh, LaCastro, he's fast. That's all you really need to know about him. Um, the bat has come and gone a little bit. It's probably a below average bat overall. Uh, he's shown some spurts, kind of, but he's very fast. He gets hit by a lot of pitches, so <laughs> doesn't even need to get his own way on base half the time. Uh, and then he can use that speed. So really just a, a decent kind of bench piece to have on any contender. He's kind of an upgraded version of Terrence Gore. And for, mm-hmm. for a few years there, Terrence Gore was kind of just hopping around to every team that wanted him <laughs> um yeah. it seemed like every july or even even september when they had the non-waiver dead or the the waiver trade deadline excuse me it seemed like he was always finding a new home and maybe tim lacastro is that new guy um he's also from new york if i'm not mistaken mm. and i believe he even spent a couple days with the yankees um before he made it to the d-backs a couple years back but he quote unquote returns to new york and he'll be a decent little uh little bench piece for them yeah, I mean, his speed is his calling card, as noted. Um, and the, the Yankees are pretty slow, you know. They got some big kind of guys who just kind of lug around. And so he's a, he's a change of pace and hopefully a breath of fresh air for them. I think they need something like that. Um, I thought it was interesting, though, that um, the Diamondbacks traded him for, you know, a guy who's like a fringy prospect. But they must see something in him. Like he wasn't really on any sort of top list of the Yankees prospects. Um but, you know, um, it continues the trend of utility guys being kind of low-valued, like yeah. severely discounted by the market. So I think it's 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 close in that respect. Yeah. And it reminds me a little bit, not to the same extent, of course, but a little bit of the Robbie Ray trade they made last year. 
mm. where they really trade. I think they traded him for Travis Bergen, who was like a 27 year old lefty reliever in Double A or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they ended up cutting Bergen, and then he went back mm-hmm. to the Blue Jays um, because they they kind of had to trade Ray at the low point of his value. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what they chose to do here with Locastro as well. I there wasn't he, he's not set for free agency. He is he arbitration eligible for next year? Maybe even I if he so. is, yeah. even if he is, it's not like he's getting the big bucks. He's not hitting well this year at all. Um, so I don't, I don't know. Maybe maybe they just you're right. Maybe they do see something in Curtis that we're missing, and they see maybe a tweak or two to make him a decent reliever or something, and they're just gonna capitalize on value while they can. But I do yeah. know a handful of D-backs fans that were a little sad to see Locastro go. <laughs> Bit of a fan favorite there, and an organization that doesn't have a lot of those left. My uh, my 11 year old son nominated him on his All Star ballot just because he loves his feed so much. So I thought, <laughs> okay, great, you know that's fun. <laughs> Love that. Well, now he's a Yankee, so now he's uh, closer to you guys. Maybe yeah. son will even be able to see him in person one of these days. Yeah, there you go. Uh, going to a trade that's probably a little bit more meaningful here. Uh, the Blue Jays and the Marlins made a fun one. So the Blue Jays acquired uh, right-handed reliever Adam Simber and outfielder Corey Dickerson, as well as cash considerations, uh, from the Miami Marlins in exchange for infielder Joe Panic and minor league right-handed pitcher Andrew McInvale. And so as far as the values on this one, uh, we had Dickerson at negative 0.6 million. He's been very rough offensively this season. He's never had a great glove, and he's been injured. I believe he has a broken foot, and the, the timetable's kind of indefinite on that. So he was really more of a, a sunk cost kind of in this deal, more of a salary dump on that end. Um, and we had Simber at zero flat. Um, he's, a, he's a capable middle innings reliever, but no surplus there. He's not anything crazy. Um, Panic we had at .6, again, just a serviceable backup infielder. He's got some defense. He can play a couple different spots. He's not going to be a complete black hole in the lineup. And then McInvale, just a minor league reliever at .1. So this deal, again, I don't think we know the exact value of the cash at this time. Um, I, I did read something in one of the reports, one or two of the reports, saying they were covering about $2.6 million, which is why I okay. sort of logged it that way. Um, okay. I think the unknown is when Dickerson is coming back, because his value could be even more, lower than what we thought, because we estimated his estimated him coming back at some point and having some value on the field. But it could turn out to be wrong, which is an unknown. So anyway, it, but it's not far off, as you mentioned. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And, and... This is one of those cases, like I mentioned, of you're kind of taking on that Dickerson uncertainty and some of that contract, whatever, and kind of kind of buying a reliever there. That's yeah, <laughs> really exactly. what the Blue Jays need right now. Their bullpen has been a disaster. And so even though Simber isn't going to knock your socks off, like they, it, it just adds a little bit of length to that bullpen, a guy that you can at least kind of rely on sometimes, <laughs> you would hope. And Panic was pretty superfluous on that infield. Obviously, he wasn't... He's not their ideal starter at any of the four infield positions, and they have Santiago Espinal, who's been a decent bench bat for them as a as a uh, middle infield type. And so you got the extra guy. The Marlins have been dealing with a lot of injuries, a lot of issues up and down the roster there, and so they get a little bit of depth there and panic, and you know maybe a fringe interesting arm Mackenvale. Yeah, I I'm still struggling to see the point of it from Mar- from Miami's point of view. Um, yeah, I guess they're. I get that they're dumping Dickerson, so maybe that was the main motivation. Uh, but they covered some of his salary, so it wasn't exactly a salary dump. I mean, Simber's owed a few bucks, but then they took Panic, who's owed a few bucks in back. So that was sort of even out. So like, what what is Miami's motivation here? I'm not quite sure. 
um, unless they're throwing in the towel. I mean, everything they've said publicly is they're not yet ready to throw in the towel, but here they were throwing away a serviceable reliever, so maybe they are. Um, it's hard to say. <clears throat> they're in a weird spot where I think coming into this season, a lot of people had them as the worst or second worst team in yeah. the division, even though they made the playoffs last season. They kind of, a lot of people saw that as kind of unsustainable, and I probably would have agreed as much as yeah. I like to root for them. Um, and they've been atrocious this year. But they've been hot lately. I think they just took two out of three from the Dodgers, if not. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Um, so they've been hotter lately. Their run differential is actually good. Like, they're they're way underperforming their Pythagorean win-loss right now. So maybe it is just kind of one of those, you know, stand pat a little bit, move some assets around. Maybe they don't trade any of the big fish, pun intended. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah. They kind of shuffle around, address some of the smaller needs on their roster with a guy like Panic, some infield depth that they needed, and just kind of hope maybe things break the right way. Maybe they part with a guy like Jesus Aguilar since they kind of have a crowded first base situation right now and they can get some value out of him. But yeah, maybe they could. They have been uh, engaged in extension discussions with Starling Marte. And it seems like there is mutual interest to get something done there and maybe a little bit more than just the usual, oh, yeah, I'd love to stick around if I can. Not just the talking point kind of thing. It seems like there might actually be something there. Yeah. And so if that's the plan, then they really don't have a natural big trade chip to try and cash in on this year. So maybe they just do mostly stand pat, shuffle things around a little bit and see what happens. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. My only other thought is, is maybe they did save a few bucks and so it's sort of a... A little wiggle room just in case they want to make an acquisition here and there or just reshuffle the deck a little bit um mm -hmm. maybe just clearing cleaning house a little bit um that's all i can figure mm -hmm. and even whenever dickerson got back it seemed like he was gonna kind of be fighting for a spot not really have a natural one mm -hmm. um they got adam duvall who's who they also signed in the off season they have a whole plethora of young outfield prospects and there's, there's those guys like lewis brinson monty harrison yeah Magnaris Sierra, who their stock has fallen like crazy, but I don't mm -hmm. know if they're quite ready to give up on them yet. Maybe give them this one last chance kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And then there's that next wave, the Jesus Sanchez, who I believe has already debuted this year. Mm -hmm. um, Peyton Burdick, uh, JJ mm -hmm. Blade, these guys that are going to be ready either later this season or in upcoming seasons, and you're kind of mm -hmm. opening the door for them. And Dickerson was kind of just getting in the way of that, whereas a guy like Panic isn't really blocking <laughs> anybody immediately. Yeah. And they've had their own share of struggles on the infield with guys like Asan Diaz uh, and maybe panic and kind of plug that hole for a couple yeah. months here. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I will say their strength is obviously their starting rotation. Trevor Rogers has been phenomenal. Um, Sandy Alcantara, you know, Pablo Lopez, they've got a really strong. So if they, if they did somehow manage to kind of sneak back in there, they could be a little bit dangerous in the playoffs with that mm -hmm. rotation. Mm -hmm. uh, but they do have some other holes in the field. Despite the fact that, you know, a lot of those young names you mentioned, I'll throw in Jazz Chisholm, who's been, you know, exciting mm -hmm. to watch. You know, so they've got some, but they're not quite a complete team yet, which is why it's sort of a, it's hard to gauge where exactly they're at. I mean, I think their future is very bright. I'm just not sure if they're going to contend this year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd probably be in that same boat with you. If I had to guess, I'd say they, and this is just pretty baseless here, I'd say they'd managed to iron something out with Marte. It seems like he's a guy that, that's just a good fit for the organization and they love him too. And he might not necessarily get paid what he's looking for in free agency because he is a bit of a you know lower OBP guy. He's going to be moving to a corner soon and he's doesn't really have the power to traditionally fit that profile. Yeah. Um, so maybe he's the type where he takes something that's a bit quote unquote below market rate, but 
really a more of an accurate reflection of the market anyway and just sticks with the team he likes. Yeah. Um, so I could see that happening. I could see them shuffling around their bullpen a little bit more. I could see, like I said, them moving Jesus Aguilar or Garrett Cooper or both even. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, maybe they make some more of these fringe-type additions like Panic and grab a rental reliever or something like that just to see what happens, but nothing nothing drastic. Nothing like the last couple years <laughs> where they've, they've been kind of aggressive. Uh, they traded... Caleb Smith for Marte last season. The year before, they traded Zach Gallen for Jazz Chisholm. They keep moving from this really surprising depth of starting pitching that they keep developing. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's anything like that in the cards for them this year. But then again, I would have said that the last two years. So <laughs> they, they remain an interesting team to watch at the deadline. Totally. All right. That's a long time on that trade. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the Blue Jays' second significant deal of the last couple weeks. Um, they teamed up with the Brewers here, who have been kind of the most active team so far in the pre-trade deadline moves. Uh, The Brewers have had some struggles on the corner infield this season. They've had some injuries. They just lost Daniel Vogelbach. Kisten Hira has been up and down, kind of a question mark. Um, So they decided to do something about it. They traded for big, rowdy Tellez from the Blue Jays. It's going to be awesome to see if they can get him and Vogelbach on the field. Like, geez, just can you imagine two more massive men? <laughs> I know. I don't know how they'd do it. Maybe some American League game, so they have the DH, whatever. Yeah. Or I'd, I, I would pay to see the two of them in the corner outfield spots, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> back, back to the trade. The Brewers picked up Rowdy Tellez. Uh, they traded Trevor Richards, who was a part of that really Adamas deal, came from the Rays. This is the second mm-hmm. time he's been traded this season. Um, as well as minor league right-handed pitcher Bowden Francis. And so the way that the values work out on this one is we have Tellez at 2.1, we have Richards at 1.3, and Francis at 1 point, or excuse me, 0.5. So the total values for the trade are 2.1 going to the Brewers, 1.8 going to the Blue Jays. And something that you pointed out to me, John, was that those values, after this latest round of updates, kind of converged in on each other in a way yep. that it wouldn't <laughs> have been the fairest deal if it had happened or not if it had happened a week ago, but according to our model, if it had happened according to what our model looked like a week ago. But now that we've updated everything to reflect for some solid performance from Richards out of the bullpen in the last month and some struggles from Tellez, um, it really evened out here, and it's almost a a perfectly even deal. Yeah. Tellez went down. Richards went up. Two ships passing in the night. Their values are closer. Uh, It's all good. Um, I do have a confession to make. When I was first sort of saying, putting the, the trade up on the site, I couldn't find Bowden Francis, and then I realized I'd entered it as Francis Bowden. I'm like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was, it took me a few minutes to realize that and fix it. Because he's got, he's one of these guys with two last names or two first names. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that happens to me a little bit more than I'd care to admit to. So. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I'm glad you can come forward with that one. Okay. I feel better now. Yeah. Uh, tell us, though, he's always been a bit of a fun one even beyond just, hey, big man, hit ball far. Um, <laughs> he's always been kind of superfluous in Toronto slash Buffalo slash Dunedin. Uh, he's, he's been blocked by Vlad Guerrero. By, they, they just have a plethora of infielders, and they don't really have a great spot for a first-base DH-only type of guy like him. <clears throat> um, so it kind of seemed like for a couple of years now that he wouldn't last long with that team. And he's shown flashes of that big power of being an above-average bat. Uh, He's an interesting story. I remember something from his debut um, with, uh, I believe, his him and his father have a good connection because his mom passed away, something along those lines. Um, but just never really got the opportunity, the full opportunity or the full production in Toronto. So now he gets a little change of scenery. 
Uh, the, it feels like the Brewers have done well with these kind of one-dimensional first base types. Yeah. Um, in, in extracting any value they can out of them, you know, the Eric Thames, the Vogel box, the. Yeah. They had Aguilar uh, Chris, for a while. Chris Carter, even. Yeah, Aguilar. The, <coughs> the name, the list goes on. It seems like yeah. they always shuffle these guys. They, yeah, they like that um, kind of guy. <laughs> and, and even Travis Shaw, who's back yeah. with them right now and was hitting decently before he went down with an injury of his own. So, the Brewers yeah. have been a really fun team to watch this year. Uh, that pitching staff is just dominant. They're they're going to be scary in October between three dominant frontline starters, two dominant bullpen pieces, and whatever else they add to that mix. They're going to be a, a team to mess with there, and any depth they can add to the lineup with a guy like Telez to kind of fill in while Vogelbach and Shaw are both out, it's just going to help them that much more. Yeah, and some are speculating that they're they're looking at a platoon between Telez and uh, Keston Hira. Um, mm-hmm. Because Hira bats right, Telez bats left. So mm-hmm. one would think so. However, mm-hmm. Telez has hit lefties apparently pretty well, so I'm not sure. And it does yeah. speak to the fact that they don't have a whole lot of confidence in Keston Hira, who's had all mm-hmm. kinds of problems lately. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was another driver. <clears throat> yeah, and and I believe Hira has reverse splits as well. Now, don't mm-hmm. quote me on that. I don't have the numbers pulled up. I am basing this solely okay, off so, of his Okay, so, so uh, his well, let's turn them around. Let's play Telez yeah. against lefties and Hero against righties. So, okay, yeah, that's still how works. that works, right? <laughs> As we've said before, more often than not, especially for two guys with a small sample like this, uh, more often than not, reverse splits are just kind of a mirage. Just kind yeah. of they, they eat out when you give them more playing time. But uh, if, if that's really what they're going for, I guess we'll see. <laughs> um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but just to echo your point, that is... They've got one heck of a starting three, uh, assuming they do make the playoffs. They're going to be tough to beat between Woodruff, Burns, and, and now Freddie Peralta. That is, and, and then of course you know, Hader and Devin Williams in there. That's a that's a. They're probably going to keep adding to their bullpen, from what I understand. Um, but but they're they're going to look scary. So they needed to add a little bit more to their offense, which I think they're doing a nice job of here. Yeah, and and they're good at. They're another one of those teams that's good at extract extracting value out of pitchers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we saw it earlier this season. They turned Drew Resmussen and J.P. Fireisen into mm-hmm. Adamas. Yeah. And they've still been kind of rolling. Like, losing two guys that are that talented, their bullpen has still been fine. I mean, they get good value out of Brent Suter in kind of a multi-inning role. They uh, they promoted Aaron Ashby, and he had an absolute disaster in his first kind of mm-hmm. – not even a start. It was like an opening appearance kind of <clears> for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're bringing him into the big leagues the same way they brought Burns and Woodruff and I think Peralta as well, where they're kind of starting them in the bullpen and then stretching them out, mm-hmm. which has been very successful for those three, obviously. Um, and Ashby seems like the type that could just be a relief weapon down the stretch if he uh, or whenever he makes it back to the big leagues, he will be back for sure sometime yeah. this season. So that's just another weapon down there. Devin Williams hasn't been quite his 2020 self, but he's still very good hater. Can't say enough about him. He's insane. So, yeah, if they can score any runs and sort out those middle innings, they're going to be a team to to deal with there. Yeah, yeah, and it sounds like that's why Trevor Richards, they felt okay trading him because they Mm -hmm. somehow have some confidence that they'll fill that gap. Yeah. All right, so now we're moving into some of these quicker hits right here, Uh, some smaller deals just real quick we want to run through. A bit of a weird one that – involved the Brewers. Uh, this was one of the oldest ones here a couple weeks ago here. Uh, the Pirates and Brewers made a trade here. Troy Stokes Jr. and Handel Gustave from Pittsburgh to Milwaukee in exchange for minor league catcher Samuel Escudero. Both Stokes and Gustave were in the minor leagues already. 
and uh, they, they just stayed in the minor leagues there. I believe Gustave was just selected recently by the Brewers. So there you go. There's plug in a hole. Yeah. <laughs> He's always had a, a bit of upside there, so maybe, yeah. Um, as far as the values here, we got Stokes at 0.6, Gustave at 0.3, Escudero at 1.1. Just a bit of a weird deal here in the ter- in the sense that this isn't two prospects for one prospect. This is two like post-prospect, kind of like waiver fodder type yeah. guys. Um, but they just they fill positions of depth. I know. I, I think the Brewers were having some depth issues both at the major league and at the AAA level, and this kind of backfills that a little bit. And they're giving up a 17-year-old catcher uh, to, for the price of that depth. So. Yeah, lottery ticket, and that's what you know, Pittsburgh keeps accumulating is these young mm-hmm. teenage guys with maybe a hint of upside. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like this move a lot for the Brewers. Whenever you can capitalize on a couple of guys that really aren't going to do anything for you at the big league level or in the short or long term, and I think that's what Stokes and Gustave were, anytime you can turn them into some guy with a little bit of upside that might help you down the line, that's that's a good move there. So For Pittsburgh. Well yeah. yeah, yeah, for Pittsburgh. And not mm-hmm. that it's a bad move for the Brewers because teams need that kind of depth. It's just the kind of move you wish you didn't have to make yeah. if you're in Milwaukee. You wish you had signed those extra two guys to minor league free agent deals in in spring training, and so you mm-hmm. wouldn't have had to make a deal like this. But sometimes that's just where injuries and depth issues leave you. Yeah. All right. Speaking of depth and the Pirates again, <laughs> the Cardinals traded a first baseman slash outfielder John Nagowski to the Pirates for cash considerations. Uh, I know Nagowski. He's a bit of an older non-prospect type. He's uh, he's got a bit of a story to him. I know he played very well in, I believe, the Venezuelan Winter League or the Dominican Winter League, one of the two. Um, he started to break out a little bit and just hasn't done it this season in the big leagues. Or, Yeah, <laughs> um, so Nagowski we had at 0.5 in trade value, and so we're estimating the cash going back at also 0.5, but that can be variable in either way. It's, it's a fair enough deal. Mm-hmm. It's just another case here. The Pirates, they've been accumulating these kind of lottery ticket guys, which is what you do if you're as bad as they are you pick up the kai toms and the dustin fowlers and john nagowski's and whoever else of the world and see if they can put together a hot couple weeks and you flip them later or a hot end of the season and you flip them the off season or maybe they become a building block whatever but or maybe they become yeah eventually one of them's gonna you're gonna hit on one and you know it's the next mike yastrzemski that's what 480's been doing in san francisco for the last couple years (laughs) exactly so that's all that this one is Uh, don't expect a whole lot from it necessarily but we will wait and see. Um, this one really caught me off guard. The Nationals acquired Alcides Escobar from from the Royals? From from the grave, maybe, actually? <laughs> oh, don't be mean. Uh, so, so Escobar... He's like, what, 50? <laughs> only 34, right. which surprised oh, okay, me a little okay. bit. Um, He's been he's out of baseball had... for like a decade. or <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> He's actually had a bit of a story himself. Um, he was with the White Sox AAA affiliate in 2019. He was in the Nippon Professional Baseball League in 2020 and came back to the United States in 2021, signed a minor league deal with the Royals. Who's He's all, obviously very comfortable with that organization. He's had his most success there. He's a big part of that, their World Series run and that kind of stretch of good baseball in Kansas City. Um, and he was performing pretty well in Omaha, and I, I believe I read that he had an opt-out coming up, and the Royals weren't quite ready to promote him yet, and so he said, okay, let, let all these other teams know, please, that I am available, 
and the Nationals, who have had a ton of depth issues of their own recently, as, as they seemingly do every year. <laughs> um, a lot of injuries, a lot of depth issues there. They said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll grab him. And so they just picked him up from the Royals for cash considerations. Um, I do not think he was even in the system at the time of this trade. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah. And, you know, these sort of minor league guys that are yeah. traded a minor league, you know, I think just haven't bothered. Maybe we should just haven't bothered. I don't think there's any value there, but I will say the nationals obviously have a pattern and that is to get these older veterans. I mean, they've been doing it for, I mean, they got how we Kendrick. Yeah. Yeah. They like, they like the grizzled veterans. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And, and <laughs> it was really funny. The, the other day they batted him lead off <laughs> in front of Trey Turner and Juan Soto. I'd say maybe don't do that in the future. Well, just... didn't he hit a home run or two? I... He did. Yeah. He did perform well, but <laughs> let's not use some, some fluky results to validate a bad process no, here. No, 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 no. He's never been a hitter. He could field, yeah. but never hit. Even when he led off for the Royals, he shouldn't have been leading off, and no. now he's four years older and bad. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Yeah. Uh, no offense to Alcides Escobar, but... <laughs> Yeah, it's just kind of the fallout here of them losing Kyle Schwarber to that rough hamstring yeah. strain. What a terrible time to lose him. He was, he was that was really a strong top of the lineup, especially the way he was going, going Schwarber, yeah. Turner, and then Soto. That's scary. And then the downgrade from Schwarber to Alcides Escobar. I don't know if there's, I don't know if you can have much of a bigger downgrade there. Yeah, yeah, and so you know that whole run put put the Nationals back in the playoff race and maybe mm-hmm. to become buyers instead of sellers and. Now there's questions about that. Although I think they're still okay. They're still hanging on. So we'll see. They were a team in my book that really needed everything to keep going right. Yeah. To to really be a true threat there to the point where, <laughs> oh, maybe we should add some pieces. Maybe we should hang on to Scherzer. But losing literally their hottest bat in a lineup that we, we talked about, I believe, in the, in the offseason and how just top-heavy their lineup is mm-hmm. between – you know, Turner and Soto are studs, but beyond that, it's like, okay, they, they gambled <coughs> on Josh Bell. The, reser- the re- results there have been kind of mixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Schwarber obviously was doing very well, but now he's gone. And then, I mean, Jan Gomes? Like... <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's total stars and scrubs model. Yeah. And, and <clears> same with the pitching running... staff. <laughs> yeah, and they're kind of running out of stars here a little bit. So. Yeah, right, right. So I don't, I don't know if I'm a believer there but uh, they're definitely one of those bubble teams that's going to use these next three weeks four weeks to decide what to do with a guy like scherzer yeah which we uh will get to a little bit later but let's finish out the transactions first uh the orioles acquired kelvin gutierrez from the royals for cash consideration uh gutierrez is an interesting one uh because his value always (laughs) whenever i go through and do the updates on him his value always grades out as like overwhelmingly negative at first before we kind of do our adjustments and blend him with his prospect value and that's just because he's been pretty atrocious at the major league level Uh, but we do have his total value here at point two so we're estimating the cash going back as being somewhere in that range as well and this is literally just along those lines of uh, what we were discussing with the Pirates, where you just take a flyer on anybody if you're a team like the Orioles. Mm-hmm. He's not he's not blocking anybody important for them right now. They got Michael Franco there, who's struggling and not owed that much money, so he's a candidate to be cut or benched or even traded or whatever himself. And so might as well give a few at bats to a guy like Gutierrez, see if you can get something there. There you go. <clears throat> I think he has a good glove. He's just never mm-hmm. hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, and then 
another name that kind of came out of nowhere here, the Mets acquired Anthony Bonda from the Giants in exchange for uh, minor league third baseman Will Toffey. So Bonda, he's just bounced around the league a lot and dealt with a lot of injuries that have really come up at the wrong time. He's still somehow only 27, former top prospect. Uh, just hasn't really been healthy enough to get a run of success going at the big league level, at least. Uh, we had him at zero. We had Toffee at one. So a bit of a gap there, but again, well within the range of kind of our margin of error. Yeah. And uh, Toffee is an, uh, is an older older prospect. Hasn't really made it. I don't think he's made it to AAA quite yet. He's struggling in AA. He's been one of those. Uh, he, he was a college, uh, college bat that was kind of polished coming out of school of one of those he's going to have low power but he's going to get on base a lot and that profile has had some some success but not a whole lot in the minor league so he's not he, he's probably a bench bat more than anything else unless he is one of those swing change guys that does find more power uh kind of follows the max muncie model uh, but yep. for right now he is just kind of organization filler bench piece type that uh, farhan zaidi is going to try and get a little bit more out of I believe Farhan was with the A's when they drafted yes. Will Toffee a few years yeah. ago, and that's, that's a good that call. was that that's probably he probably liked him and advocated for him because uh, you know he came from Vanderbilt, obviously great program, and he had as you noted you know great on base skills and was sort of a polished professional hitter. So I think Farhan's just like, hey, that's my guy. Now let's see if I can get him for a, for a song. So um, you know, yet another throw it all against the wall and see if it sticks kind of guy. Especially if all he's going to cost you is Bonda, who, like <clears throat> yeah. I said, like. Former top prospect, but the injuries and everything have really warmed down. Apparently, he had a 6.86 ERA at AAA before the trade. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, injuries it, have taken a toll on his career. There may be yeah. just a tint, a hint of upside, and the Mets are just looking for a depth arm here and maybe hoping mm-hmm. for the best. No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it, it's it's a very small challenge trade type of thing here, where yeah. there's a there's a little bit of upside. You can squint and see in either guy. More likely than not, this is the last we hear about either one. Yeah. All right, and then another kind of weird former prospect that gets traded here. Uh, the Brewers and Pirates made a deal. They seem to be the two most active clubs the last couple of weeks. Um, Brewers acquired Kevin Kramer, so just some more infield depth there. In exchange, they sent left-handed pitcher Nathan Kirby to the Pirates. Uh, just pulling this one up. Uh, we have Kramer at 0 and Nathan Kirby at 0.1. So that seems uh, pretty fair to me. I mean, Kramer... Yeah. Nobody really knew much about Kramer beyond the whole, oh, ho, ho, Kevin Kramer, Kevin Newman, Newman. middle infield. That <laughs> <laughs> um, didn't really go beyond that. Kramer <laughs> hasn't done anything at all in the big league, at the big league level. Um, he's even been struggling in the minor leagues this season. So really more of a depth move for the for the Brewers, kind of along the lines of that Gustave Stokes deal. And Nathan Kirby, I believe he was a former formerly decent prospect, but again, just one of those injury guys. Um, and he's a bit old for a prospect, and the lost year didn't wasn't great for him last year, the lost 2020 season. So just another, another one of those flyer types for the Pirates that probably <clears throat> won't amount to too much. It's not going to sting the Brewers too much losing him, but uh, might as well take that flyer. Okay, fair enough. And last transaction here. The Marlins traded Justin Sterner, right-handed pitcher, uh, right-handed prospect, I should say, um, and cash considerations to the Tampa Bay Rays in exchange for right-handed pitcher David Hess. And so Hess was on a minor league deal with the Rays, and he was performing pretty well in the minors, so the Marlins went ahead and selected him, added him to the roster. Um, I believe that's kind of backfilling for uh, the Simber move 
mm-hmm. and just adding you know another veteran relief arm so that that's kind of what i was alluding to earlier of kind of one of these smaller <clears throat> deals they're not going to trade for you know the craig kimbrels of the world which we'll get into a little bit later um but they might make some of these moves to get just kind of an arm that they feel like they can trust coming out of the bullpen in the middle innings um and i mean this is just textbook raise right here of just continuing to shuffle these relievers that they they pick these relievers up for free and then they send them out and trade them for the next young talent and sterner um he's a fairly interesting minor league reliever i'm just realizing i didn't get to the values here we have sterner at 0.1 hess at 0.2 and we're estimating the cash at 0.1 just to even it out uh sterner kind of an interesting relief arm nothing crazy no top prospect or anything but you know anytime anytime the rays go out of their way to pick up a pitcher you kind of keep an eye on him yeah, they may be seeing something there. I don't know, but <clears throat> Hess has never really been good, although maybe he's, he's turned the corner a little bit. Maybe he's just got a little window of opportunity here where he's filling some gaps. So, yeah, they just, um, you know, if it's if you can possibly sell high on a guy at 0.2, go for it. <laughs> <clears throat> well, uh, it seems like he's a uh, he's been dominant so far for the Miami Marlins, tossing two scoreless innings with one hit, know. two walks, and one okay. strikeout. All right. <laughs> Maybe not dominant. <laughs> All right, so that's it for transactions, but we have two bits of news here that we want to get to. Uh, first, we want to circle back to Max Scherzer, who we mentioned just a, just a few minutes ago. Um, he There, there was a, a talk with Scott Boris, who is obviously Scherzer's agent, and he basically heavily implied that the only way that Scherzer would waive his no-trade clause is if he's getting a little something in return and that little something is more than just getting traded to a contender. He wants some sort of extension, some sort of adjustment of his contract, something along those lines. Um, kind of reminiscent of what happened with Justin Verlander a couple years ago. Um, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, did that, was that tacked onto the deal or uh, uh, am I mixing that up? No, I don't think, I think so I'm mixing that up. I'm messing that up. My bad. <laughs> Scratch okay. what I just said. But there, there, I believe there was a recent precedent for something like this. I mean, I mean, yeah, you can just look at the uh, Nolan Arenado deal. There you go. Okay. Uh, yes. where, where he kind of tweaked his contract in in exchange for okaying the trade there. Yeah. Um, but we, I don't know if we've seen it recently for a guy like this who is on the last year of his deal, like Scherzer is. Um, and, and I also don't know how much I buy this. This seems just like typical Boris posturing. I mean, we've said everything we've said about Scherzer in the past, about how much of a gamer he is, how much of a competitor. And if if the Nationals truly are turning the corner here and they're still right in the race when they get to July 28th, then, yeah, I could see this having some merit. I could see, hey, I can contend here in a place I'm comfortable maybe that's a little bit easier. Maybe I don't want to go anywhere else. And if I am going anywhere else, there better be some money in it for me. Uh, but if they do kind of fall out of the race, like I kind of predict them to, I, I feel like he's just going to want to get out. He's going to want to go pitch somewhere that he can have some October innings because as good as he is, he is 37 years old. He's He doesn't have a whole lot of years of October left in him. And I'm sure he wants to grab another ring or two before he's before he <clears throat> hangs it up. Yeah, I... I, I... I think you're absolutely right. This is Boris posturing, as he always does. He, you know, if you follow him in the off season, he's known for his silly puns and anything he can do to get media attention for, and and gin up the value of his of his guys. This is another example of him doing that. Uh, but but you know, in all fairness, you know, 
Scherzer has a lot of leverage here. He's got 10-5 rights. He can veto any trade. He can go where he wants to. And Boris is just sort of piling onto that, saying, yeah, my guy's not going to accept any trade unless it's on his terms. So, okay, I understand. I mean, it was already complicated enough with the you know, crazy yeah. contracts and who knows if he's in or out and what <clears throat> where the nationals are going. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, I think it's going to limit his market if indeed they want to sell. Um, and if indeed he wants to entertain the notion, he's going to say it's on my terms and here's the, here are my terms. And then, you know, any, any team wanting him, you know, is going to have to, you know, it's going to complicate everything. And, and given the way things are shaping up, we're already into July teams right now are focused on the draft. We're going to have like maybe a two week window to even sort this out. And that's so complicated that I am skeptical that nothing, that anything will get done. Frankly, it's just, I just, I just feel like it's too complicated. The nationals are in the bubble. That's a whole complicated situation. I don't think he's going anywhere. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> However, this does go back to what we discussed a little bit in our last episode when we kind of when we went into the Kevin Goldstein article on why trades all kind of bunch around the deadline why they don't happen in June early July whatever yeah. as much and it, it's because there's I'd imagine there's at least five or ten teams in the league that need starting pitching and they're waiting to hear on Scherzer because he's their top priority they want that one frontline guy that looks like he might be available mm-hmm. and so they got to wait on what the Nationals decide to do Got to wait on how the Nationals perform the next few weeks before they can really make any decision. Because if you want Scherzer, you're not going to go trade significant assets for Kyle Gibson now and then say, oh, well, Scherzer's available now and he just <laughs> was in our price range, but whoops, yeah. we're out of money. Whoops, we traded one of the prospects, whatever. Yeah. So you're going to want to prioritize Scherzer, even if that means waiting three more weeks and dealing with whatever bad fifth starter has to, has to make yeah, but, starts but, instead. But then you're going to have to go through all these negotiations and work out the money and all that stuff in like two days. Right. I just don't see that happening. Right. I, I think it would take a huge national skid that starts like now. Yeah. Like, like they lose like seven in a row, 10 in a row, sandwiching the trade <laughs> deadline. And they decide, all right, we're for sure out of this. And then you can kind of start those negotiations, uh, not only with other teams, but with Scherzer and find out where he might be willing to go, what exactly he maybe wants out of a trade, if he is going to stick to this, uh, what Boris is saying here about needing some sort of financial compensation. That's when you can start doing that legwork. And, and I think you need at least a week or so. Yeah. To, not not to imply that the Nationals haven't done any of that legwork, because I'm sure they have been working on this stuff for months, but they're still kind of toeing the line, and, and they need to decide. If they are going to be trading him, they would need to decide soon. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, so that's at least a team that knows what it's doing. Let's talk about one that doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so we've discussed the Rockies at length on this podcast, uh, especially over the course of the last you know six, eight months or so, starting with the whole... Arenado saga and this is kind of continued fallout from that so we've we've talked about before how their front office is just in shambles right now they're losing losing guys every other week it seems like high-ranking front office officials and according to a story by Nick Roke of The Athletic the Rockies told other teams that they're standing pat on trade negotiations for right now Uh, they're not talking trades with anybody until after the all-star break at the earliest And so that seems a little bit curious for a team that's very clearly a seller, has some expiring assets, 
Uh, it's not nearly the level of work that they'll have to do that the Nationals will have to do for Scherzer, but a Trevor Story trade is going to be difficult as well. There just aren't many natural suitors. The money's a thing. Uh, it, it's going to be a tough negotiation there, and so it seems weird at first glance that they're saying, all right, we're shutting down for the next week. Come talk to us after that. But then the more you think about it, given their current circumstance, it makes a lot of sense. So the, mm-hmm. the draft was pushed back to being the same week as the All-Star game. Mm-hmm. Typically, the draft would be the first week of June, and that would have been way on our rearview mirror. But for a team like the Rockies that is picking in the top 10, I believe they're picking eighth overall, they need to put in a lot of homework on this draft, and especially with where they are as a franchise, the level of talent that they need. This is a really important draft for them, and it's coming up next week. And they're trying to make their draft plans with half a front office, if that. So they're already probably expending so many resources on their draft prep. And maybe right now they just can't dedicate an equal amount of resources to both that and to trade talks. And so they got to prioritize the one where the draft deadline is coming up in a week. And after that, they can kind of scramble and try to put together their trade deadline. So that's kind of that's how it reads to me, which isn't. Obviously, it's not a good thing, and obviously, it's the Rockies' own fault that they're in this situation. But it at least makes sense. It's got a little bit of sympathy for me. Yeah, keep in mind the interim GM, Bill Schmidt, has run every draft for them. He's been their scouting director, right? Right. So this is his thing, and he's like, I can't deal with trades. I got to focus on the draft. So that's my thing. So I get it from that standpoint, right? And plus, a couple of his lieutenants have left, as you noted. So he's got a, a skeleton crew. You know, they're understaffed, clearly, for dysfunctional reasons. Mm-hmm. And and also, Schmidt's never traded anybody before. He's never been a GM before. So mm-hmm. it's like, uh... It's hard to gauge his involvement <laughs> in, in previous deals. Like, like all the... Anytime a trade gets made, it, it, like, in previous years, anytime the Cubs made a trade, it's, oh, there's Theo Epstein again. And yeah, he uh-huh. probably had his hands in it big time, but there's a whole lot of people... Of course. ...that have that contribute to the deal that contribute to looking at players. I mean, I mean, he's been the, he's been a scouting director. Schmidt has a VP of scouting, excuse me. And so that presumably includes some major league scouting. Uh, So he's, he's had some level of involvement. I'm sure they wouldn't just hand the guy the reins with zero experience, but you're right. It's a, it's a different animal to be the one in charge, the one with essentially the final say, um, unless it is something that goes all the way up to ownership, which you, you'd imagine something like Story might. But yeah, so um, <clears throat> he's at least got a very important say in this, a much larger role in it than he has in the past, and he's trying to juggle that with the draft all around the same time period. So it, it makes sense that he's saying, "All right, I need, <laughs> I need to focus on this one thing. Make sure I don't get." The thing that I am an expert in, I'm not going to screw that up. I need to get that right. And then as an organization, we can do our best to kind of piece together what's going to be a really difficult trade deadline for them. Yeah, and to be fair, they probably already know who the likely suitors are for Story and Mm -hmm. have a, a general sense you know, of, of what they might ask for, to your point. You know, Schmidt probably knows, okay, these, you know, maybe it's the Reds, maybe it's the A's, maybe it's a couple other teams, and maybe, I, you know, since he's in charge of professional scouting as well, you know, he's he's he knows their farms enough to say, okay, it's probably going to be some combination of those guys and those guys, so it's like, okay, uh, but then I'll deal with it later. Um, now, the other thing that's come out in the press since those lieutenants have resigned is 
other front office personnel saying, well, we don't know who to talk to anymore. Like I, yep. I used to talk to that guy or that guy. And like, it's, as Kevin Goldstein has written, it's all about relationships quite often with these trades. Like, oh yeah, this guy knows this team really well. And that guy knows that one. And so they have these con- conversations all the time. And so when those guys leave, everybody else only on the phone is like, I, uh, who do I talk to? No one's taking my calls. So, um, so that's an issue as well. I remember 2015, was 2015 the year that Preller went all in the first time and it didn't <laughs> I work believe at all? so, yeah, with the yeah. camp and, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I remember the 2015 deadline, everyone was sitting waiting for that last shoe to drop with the Padres and Justin Upton, mm. and it never did. They held on to him for really no reason. But that was the James Shields for Tatis year, wasn't it? It was, it was. <laughs> okay. so I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying in any way that Preller, oh, he botched it, but I'm saying yeah, yeah. that that was a bit of a weird feeling and it doesn't happen too often where you get to the deadline and the guy on an expiring contract on a clear seller stays put because there usually isn't much incentive for that. Right. Given the dysfunction here, could you see that happening with story? I wouldn't rule it out because, you know, it goes up to the owner, Dick Monfort, you know, he said crazy things in the past. Like we're going to win 90 games, even though they were clearly (laughs) terrible. Like, but you know what I think is going on? He's a, he's a businessman. Right. And, and he likes the fact that people come to see his team. Like, and he likes his fan favorites and he's said to be very loyal. So like, it's hard for him to part with, you know, a guy who's been there all along like Trevor story has, or even John Gray to an extent. So, <clears throat> they have to, but it's a little bit like pulling teeth because like, eh, yeah, okay. You know, um, and, and there's what, what I think, and this plays into how we value story as well, because, you know, all they really need is something better than the draft pick they would get once they QO and many declines it, right? Which we estimate around $9 million, but that's going to, but, but, and we've, I've read, I wrote a story about this and it's going to be a range of somewhere above nine and up all the way up to like maybe the low twenties because they value, they're losing story for two months after they trade him. And that's two months of fans coming to the ballpark that wouldn't see their favorite player. And they value that. So, right. Okay. So they are going to be comp, they want to be compensated for, for both the draft pick and that two months of missing value. Mm-hmm. Additionally, there's typically, something of a bidding war that also pushes that value up to where the player belongs and not just, oh, every expiring star free agent goes for a little bit more than the draft pick. Like, we don't see that because there's typically bidding wars, but with such a weird market for story, we might see a little bit less of that than usual, might diminish Mm -hmm. the return a little bit. And I could see that just lining up as them saying, all right, I mean, we know it's not maybe the absolute best for our organization in terms of future talent, but maybe as a whole and just given the time constraint, given what you were mentioning with, with Monfort's kind of priorities with the fan base, given all of those factors, maybe we do just sit tight on him. Because, I mean, the two teams that everyone's been saying forever, the Reds and the A's, uh, the Reds look a little bit more likely than they did before. They've been kind of surging lately. The A's have been terrible lately. And mm-hmm. while they've been terrible, Elvis Andrews has been turning it around. <laughs> he's like the one around. guy that got hot, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. He's hit two homers in the last <clears throat> couple days out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and so they they seem to be even less and less incentivized to give up significant assets and money yeah. for story, especially as they kind of dip in the standings a little bit, might be looking at more of a wild card situation again. Mm-hmm. And maybe they... And there has been a little bit more buzz. I'm not sure how much of it is speculative or how much of it is substantiated about them and Nelson Cruz, which is mm-hmm. along the same lines as a story, a big bat in the lineup, a big rental, mm-hmm. uh, but he's going to cost considerably less, mm-hmm. both both in terms of money and in terms of prospects. 
So you wonder if something like that is more of a natural fit for them, and, and something like Story would be more of the, oh, we're a game back of the Astros, we got to pull this trigger to, to get mm-hmm. us over the hump in our last year of contention. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they look a little less likely for Story. The Reds are still a decent candidate, but they have their own money issues. Uh, I think we saw the White Sox hop in a little bit. Uh, because they have had some, they are looking for an infielder. They've had discussions about Eduardo Escobar, Adam Frazier. They could play Story at second, or even play Story at third, bump Yoan Moncada to second. Or what they should do is play Story at shortstop and bump Tim Anderson because he's a lesser defender, but he's going to be there a while. He's their guy. They're going to leave Tim Anderson at shortstop, whatever. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. Tony Larusa. Yeah. <laughs> but right. so, so those are really. I mean, I'm sure there's a couple others where you can squint and make it work. Like, oh, the Nationals stay hot. Maybe they send Carter Keyboom and whatever else. Um, there's a couple other teams like that where you can squint and say maybe they're a fit for story. But there's no there's no clear bidding war the way there is for a Max Scherzer type. And so yeah. that might affect his value. And if it affects his value, it might affect the Rockies' incentive to trade him. Yeah, yeah. We, I, you know... It would be weird if he wasn't traded because it's so obvious. But you know, mm-hmm. I it's the Rockies. You never really know with these guys anymore. When the Padres didn't trade Justin Upton, I thought that was a horrible decision. I didn't understand it at all. If the Rockies don't trade Story, I don't think I'll agree with it, but I'll at least understand it. At least they'll get the draft pick. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. that's not. It's not like they're losing everything, right? So that's their floor. And that's a pretty guaranteed draft pick. I feel like. Uh, I feel like Upton's year, he's he was a bit more. He wasn't a super duper star the way that Story is, and so he was a bit more of an edge case of whether he would get the qualifying offer, whether he would accept it, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But Story is just slam dunk. He's he's a star shortstop on both sides of the ball. He's going to get some big contract somewhere. You give him the qualifying offer, he's going to turn it down. You're going to get that draft pick. Yep. Right. <clears throat> And that's not even to say anything about John Gray, Michael Gibbons, a couple of the other guys. Um, a, a report did come out that Herman Marquez is staying put. Oh yeah, that's it, another well, point. Mm-hmm. A lot of those, a lot of those types of reports you can take with a grain of salt. There's the infamous Josh Donaldson isn't going anywhere, and then he gets traded to Toronto a month later. Uh-huh. But I think this one is really believable. I mean, Marquez has so much value that it's really hard to trade him right now. It's hard to get a team to pay that much for him, to pay what he's worth. And with what we've mentioned, with how difficult of a deadline this is going to be, I don't think they need that one more big yeah. chip to make things <clears throat> more complicated for them. They can address something like that in the offseason or next deadline once the front office is a little more settled. Exactly. And that point has been made in some, some expert articles, I think, by Nick Rook as well. Like, look, that's that's a longer-term piece. Don't Let's not go there. Just focus on the expiring assets now. Once you get the new front office new gm settled and you actually have a strategy and then you can figure out whether you're keeping him or or not not keeping him in the off season i think that makes a lot of sense i buy that yeah Alrighty, and from there i believe that's all our news for the day uh let's go ahead and get into our two trades of the week and then we can hit up our player updates so let's start with dodgers rangers trade of the week here from user a Amster, Amster, something along those lines. Um, so this one has Kyle Gibson, uh, right-handed pitcher for the Texas Rangers, headed to the Los Angeles Dodgers. We have his value at 8.6 million. In exchange, the Rangers would receive two prospects. It would be right-handed pitcher Clayton Beater at 4.5 million, and infielder Leonel Valera at 4.1 million. So it's a flat 8.6 for 8.6 here. 
Um, our, our users on the site absolutely love this on the Dodgers end. They really think they the Dodgers need another arm, and I, I think I agree with them. They've had a lot of injuries in the rotation. They just lost Clayton Kershaw for who knows how long with some forearm inflammation. And Gibson has been very, very good for the Rangers this season, and I'll let you get into that a little bit more in a second here. Uh, but on the site, we've got 17 thumbs up, one thumbs down for the Dodgers' end of this, but it's a lot more mixed on the Rangers' end. we got 15 up, 18 down. And I'm, I'm assuming that kind of controversy on their end, um, I think some of it might be just that they don't know these guys, <laughs> and I don't blame them. I also don't know a whole hell of a lot about Clayton Beater or Lionel Valera. Uh, they're not their traditional top prospect types. And then that's the other thing, that it is a 4.5 and a 4.1. I think there would be a bit more agreement if it was, you know, your traditional headliner is a 7.5 and then a 1 million lottery ticket or something like that yeah. to get to the 8.5. So I think that would have not, – not saying that that makes it a better deal. I think just of our users on the site, they would prefer that. Um, but as constructed, I – again – with the caveat that I don't know a ton about the prospects, um, but it, it seems like it makes a lot of sense to me. I'm actually, I'm pulling up their pages right now so I can maybe <laughs> educate myself a little bit on those too. Um, but I'll let you go ahead and take the floor here, what you feel about the deal and uh, about Gibson especially. I So first of all, on the Rangers side, I think it's totally fair um, to get two prospects with upside. These are not lower end prospects. These are middle prospects and the Dodgers obviously know how to develop prospects. Um, you know, Beater's got some heat. Uh, he was a high draft pick. I'm trying to remember what I know about him, but, but for, for, you know, for the Rangers who signed Cal Gibson as kind of a veteran journeyman and, and now to flip him for two decent ones, that's, that's not a bad deal for them. Uh, I like it more than, you know, other people do here. Um, now Gibson also, you know, he's been trending up because at first you're like, yeah, he's just having a good month. But then it was like two good months now, three good months. And like, you know, something has changed. He's changed. I, I, I'm not an expert on Kyle Gibson, but something has changed with his mechanics where he's really firing it and, and, and continuing his success. And it's against good teams as well. So his value has gone up. I think we had a, a, you know, a month or so ago in the twos and threes and then in and seven and then now eight. So and there's also um, he's got an interesting contract because it actually goes down next year. Uh, he's making 10 million this year, but only 7 million next year. So there's still a little bit of um, uncertainty whether Texas would even want to trade him because you know they're getting a good deal on him next year, especially if he continues this hot streak. So I could see I'm contradicting myself here because I like the return for the Rangers, but I could maybe even see them getting a little bit more should they play that card. Um, on the Dodgers side, I like it a lot. Now we were joking in the off season like. You really, after they sign Trevor Bauer, you need seven starters? You're kidding me, right? And yet, look at it now. They've got like at least four of them have gone down for various reasons, and now they're down to three, you know? So it's ridiculous. Um, so, so you know, it was a testament to their their foresight that they had so much depth, and now you can see why. So, so I can see them, um, you know. Obviously, they're they're a playoff caliber team. They just won the World Series, so they've got. Assuming um, nothing changes right now, they still got a strong. You know, they've got Bueller, Urias, and uh, well, actually, they're, I expect Kershaw is going to come back. I couldn't tell how serious that injury was, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, you know, so I think I'm forgetting someone. They got Gonsolin, who's up and down, but um, but he would Gibson if he's pitching uh, well. I think he would be slot into a a three, maybe even a two, you know, in their playoff rotation. So um, behind Bueller. So at least because they had three aces, right? They had 
Kershaw, Bauer, and Bueller is kind of the three aces, and they've lost Bauer for reasons I don't want to get into on this. They've got, you know, Kershaw, question mark. So they've got one ace left that you can count on in Bueller. So Gibson would slot in right behind that, I think. Um, so I could see them uh, definitely fitting there. Uh, mm-hmm. So I like this trade on both sides. I have some updates here on the prospects. I was doing a little bit of research while you were talking there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were right. Beater is a big fastball guy. He was their, uh, the Dodgers' competitive balance round B pick in uh, last year's draft, so 66th overall pick. Uh, Eric Long and Hagen of Fangraphs has them ranked as uh, their has him ranked as their seventh best prospect overall. He does have him just as a reliever, single inning reliever type, but pretty much a complete package, ready-made bullpen arm. Um, he's been pitching in high A this year as a 22-year-old, his first uh, taste of affiliated ball, and he's been seems like he's been used as an opener type. He's got 13 starts, but 17 in the third innings. Yeah. Uh, striking out well over a batter per nine. ERA is a little bit high, but you know that stuff can kind of happen over 17 innings in high A. Uh, but it seems like he's still a pretty ready-made, solid relief prospect. And so maybe that's part of the reservations from our users here is that I don't know if uh, the the Rangers really want half the return for Gibson being a, a likely reliever with, with very little chance to start long-term. Yeah, fair um, enough. And I, I can understand that, but uh, Rivas, or not Rivas, Valera, excuse me, Valera is actually fairly interesting. Uh, so he's <clears throat> a younger international signee. Uh, he's He hasn't turned 22 quite yet. He's in high A for the first time this year, and he's hitting really well. Uh, he is striking out a lot, too, so that's the big question with him, his hit tool. Uh, but it's, he's having a bit of a breakout year this season, power speed guy. Uh, he walks a fair bit, and, and he's still at a pretty reasonable age for his level. But as Long and Hagen said, he's got a great build, significant power projection for a shortstop, but you guessed it, a low-probability prospect because of his hit tool. So it's it's two guys that are both interesting, and two guys that, if you told me coming into the season that the Rangers could get both of these guys for Kyle Gibson, I'd say they, they got to take that deal before the before the Dodgers sober up. <laughs> but uh, I, I could see now some reservation here just with how well Gibson has performed. And, and you figure if he put, rattles off a couple more starts, might increase his value a little bit as, as our model says, okay, the more data we get here of him being a frontline starter, the more we believe he will be a frontline starter the rest of this season and into, yeah. in, into next season. Maybe that value goes up a little bit. Maybe the, the Rangers prioritize a, a couple different types of prospects from the Dodgers, but I think Gibson to the Dodgers makes a world of sense. I agree. All right, so there's that first trade of the week. Thank you again, Amster, for that one. And let's hit into one that you chose specifically, John, and, and you seemed like you really wanted to talk about here. So uh, I'll kind of, once I read through the deal here, I'll let you take the floor. Um, so this one's with the Cubs and Red Sox, and it has been a little bit, something along these lines has been a little bit rumored the last couple days as the Cubs have really fallen out of it. They were looking like an NL Central contender, and now they're looking like maybe a seller. Uh, weird how, <laughs> weird what a couple weeks can do this time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this deal, they'd be trading Craig Kimbrell, who we actually have as at, at exactly zero in trade value, uh, in median trade value, which is a long way that he's come from his days of negative 16, negative 20. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, so in this deal, the Red Sox receive Kimbrell at zero and six million in cash. In exchange, they're sending three prospects to the Cubs. It's Blaze Jordan, who's a first baseman, and right-handed pitchers Aldo Ramirez and Roniel Raudez. 
Um, so uh, Blaze Jordan was, I believe, their first round pick from last year. Um, high upside, high school bat. He was an underslot signing for them. He's got some holes in his swing, but he's the the the, the upside is the moon for mm-hmm. that guy. Um, mm-hmm. And Raudis is a bit of an interesting. A lottery ticket type prospect who was a bigger name in previous years and I liked him a lot and he's just kind of fallen off the radar some injuries some underperformance there um, I need to do a little homework right now on Aldo Ramirez but while I'm doing that I will let you uh, go ahead and <clears throat> say your bit about Kimbrell and about kind of yeah what his last uh, few months have looked like from a trade value perspective yeah so I, he's obviously the big name in the deal so there's a uh, all right, so there's a lot of buzz now that the the Cubs have fallen out of it. Um, where where Kimbrel's going to go? Part of this is because there wasn't really a headliner in the reliever market, and if the Cubs are sellers, and you know, and the way Kimbrel has been pitching, he's been lights out lately. He suddenly is the hot commodity. He's you know, as Scherzer would be to the starting uh, pitcher market, uh, Kimbrel is to the reliever market. Totally top of the class. Uh, the problem is his contract. So. He's making 16 million this year, and there's an option uh, for 16 million next year with a buyout of one. Now, from a trade value perspective, he's been underwater for quite some time because that's a large contract. Now that he's actually climbed back into it, we have him going all the way from those negative numbers he mentioned uh, to zero. Now, people look at this and say, "What? Kimbrel has no trade value?" You know. Meanwhile the media is starting to get some buzz around like, Oh, John Hyman says, Oh, he's going, totally going to bring a haul and Buster only chiming in as well. And so now people are getting excited. Like, Oh, what's the haul going to be for, for Craig Kimball? Okay. Look, <clears throat> um, th- journalists are not trade value experts. Um, <laughs> what they see is a really, a really great reliever is going to be the top of the market. And they're absolutely right about that. So they're effectively focusing on the field value. What they're not focusing on is the money. GMs always focus on the money. Especially this year when you have contending teams who are trying to toe the line and stay under the luxury tax. I'm thinking about the Yankees and the Astros and the Red Sox, uh, which is obviously the case here. So, um, you know, you either take Kimbrell and his contract. He's still guaranteed $9 million at this point, which is basically half a year. So $8 million this year, the rest of this year. And then our model says, oh, they probably wouldn't take the, the contract next year now. Uh, so that would be the one million million buyout. So he's owed nine million guaranteed at least. Now, if you double that, that's basically an eighteen million dollar salary. That's the most any reliever has ever been paid in history. So there's no surplus there. That's what we're saying. He's worth that. We're not saying he's he's bad. He's actually great. We agree. It's just that his contract, you know, he's getting paid what he's worth. Now, if you if you say, okay, well, he's got, got an extra year. It's a team-friendly year. Well, no, it's not team-friendly because it's another $16 million you'd have to pay, and he's also going to be a year older. And he also had that weird period where he was terrible. So, like, you don't have total confidence that he's worth that next $16 million. Our model says, no, he would not be. He'd be significantly under that, like around 11 or 12. So we assume that the buyout is going to kick in, and maybe somebody would sign him for a little bit less than that. In other words, even if you took – even if you said, yes, we want that extra year – there's no surplus there. So either way, there's no surplus, right? Um, so either way, whoever's trading for him is going to have to acquire that contract. And that offsets all that field value. Um, so what I think is more likely, so the question that becomes, what are the Cubs going to do? Are they more motivated if assuming they, are, they do want to sell him? Are they more motivated to move the salary and clear some cash? Or are they more motivated to get some prospects? That is up to them. In this particular case, I kind of agree they'd probably want the contracts. They know they have a rebuild coming. 
Um, so let's get what we can. So let's kick in some cash, in this case, $6 million. And they get three prospects out of them. One has a touch of upside in Blaze Jordan. Aldo Ramirez, who you'll talk about in a moment, I assume, uh, has a little bit as well. And so that's fine. I wouldn't say that's a haul, you know. But look, <clears throat> time and time again, we've been in this situation where the media goes crazy and thinks Nolan Arenado, oh, he's going to get a haul. A couple of years ago, Corey Kluber is going to get a haul. And we were right every single time. No, they didn't, you know, because of the yeah. money. <laughs> so believe us, this is another situation like that. It's not a haul. He's a rental reliever who's getting paid a lot of money. Yeah, he's great, but he's getting paid a lot of money. So those forces offset. So he's only going to get a couple of prospects if you kick in some cash. Done. <laughs> I mean, you'd think they'd catch on eventually, but I guess if you're... John Heyman, just to pull a name out, not to call him out specifically, but he is particularly bad with this. But I guess if you're John Heyman and there's no punishment when you are wrong on something like that, then why would you change? <laughs> like, why yeah, would you ever, right. you're never forced to change your ways, change your views on something like this. Um, but yeah, as with last time, I just did my little prospect homework here. Uh, so, so Blaze Jordan, as I mentioned, was their first, uh, or actually their third round pick from last year, excuse me. Um, but he was a uh, uh, okay, I think they went under slot with their first couple of picks. Yeah, exactly. So he was the guy they there were targeting. Yeah, yeah, got it, got it flipped. My bad. Um, but he was he was a big name who kind of reclassified to drafting a year earlier out of high school. Um, Eric Long and hanging the fan graphs again doesn't love him. He has him twenty first on their list on their top forty seven list. Um, he, his final quote of his little blurb is: "He's a good version of a profile that I don't like very much, and that's just." <laughs> he's got a big frame right now. He's got good bat to ball skills, good power, but he's not going to uh, long and hanging. Doesn't want to project too much on that power because he's already pretty maxed out physically. Um, and, and he's has him limited pretty much first base only. He's tried some, some plays at third base, but it's not, it's not looking realistic long-term there. So he's a first baseman only uh, with an above average hit tool and power tool, but maybe not a ton of room for growth. So you can see where he's limited as a prospect there. Um, Aldo Ramirez, on the other hand, is a change-up command type guy who's been throwing a little bit harder recently, uh, but he's also got that scary little blurb on his Fangraphs page that says, injury, elbow, seven-day IL. So <laughs> I, I know nothing more about that, so that would obviously be a big factor here. And then, as I mentioned before with Raudez, he's fallen off of Long and Hagen's list entirely, not even an honorable mention or anything like that. He's 23, pitching in high A and not not struggling, not pitching the greatest. He just hasn't really grown much. Or excuse me, I that's that's from 2018. He hasn't pitched professionally since 2018. So I don't know what's up with Ronnie L. Route is. Um, but he's he's very much just the third lottery ticket in this deal anyway. If you still like this deal, you can swap him out for pretty much anyone there. <clears throat> um, also realizing now I never mentioned the uh, prospects' values here. <laughs> we have Ramirez at 3.3, Jordan at 2.4, and Route is at 0.3. So another one of these, an even six for six. Yeah, I'm going to pile on and blaze Jordan for a moment here. According to Baseball America, I've got the prospect handbook out. They have him as a 50 with extreme risk, but they also say Jordan's power as an amateur bordered on legendary after videos of him blasting 500-foot homers started circulating when he was 13. He's only 18 right now. <clears throat> um, you know, the Red Sox signed him away from a Mississippi State commitment with a $1.75 million bonus. Um, you know, uh, so there's, you know, oh, here's another one. One evaluator noted some similarities with Matt Holliday. He's a showstopper in batting practice. Okay, 
<laughs> so there's some upside. Uh, but he's only 18, so there's extreme risk. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. One, one, yeah. <clears throat> um, okay. So one other point I want to make uh, about Kimbrell's value here is that this was at the midseason point. Now, if he's traded, he'll probably be traded at the deadline. So in other words, we have to update his value again. If he keeps pitching like this, his value is going to go up a couple of ticks because the money he's owed will go down. He's making like $2.7 million a month, right? So we're going to subtract that from the salary side. And meanwhile, his his performance will probably, you know, it may go down a, a, a smidge, but but it's probably going to still be high. So the, the surplus is going to increase a little bit. So you can see a little bit of a better package if you squint here and imagine Kimbrell at the deadline as worth a positive two or three or something in that. And then maybe some team overpays and kicks in on something like six million. And so you're getting like nine or 10 million in a prospect package instead of six mm-hmm. or maybe even, you know, um, an overpay where you're getting, you know, 11 or 12 million in package. No. Okay. Uh, you know, it's not crazy. Um, you know, it's not a haul, but you know, I can see that happening. And, and it's particularly tough with a guy like Kimbrell, a reliever, because he might not even throw 10 innings this month with the All-Star yeah. break and everything. Oh, right. Yeah. And it's, so it's going to be it's going to be difficult to really evaluate that performance. It's got to be a mix of, yeah, how does he perform as well as, you know, just how does he look? How are teams evaluating him? This is this kind of every time I think about a reliever in this kind of context, it reminds me of Drew Pomeranz mm-hmm. uh, from a couple of years ago where the Brewers, all they needed was a couple innings out of him. They saw that he was a different guy out of the bullpen. And that was enough for them to pull the trigger and part with a pretty decent prospect in Mauricio Dubon at the mm-hmm. time. Um, and, and so the relief market, as we've said before, is as volatile as any other in the game. Mm-hmm. And even with a guy like Kimball, who you think of as an established name there, he was just so bad for that first year or so with the Cubs that if he does kind of go down the tank this month, I mean, if it's if it's the kind of thing where he gets blooped and bled to death, then okay, people are going to be able to overlook that. But if, it's, if he loses a couple ticks of velo, if he's walking guys all over the place, whatever the case may be, if something does go south with him this month, it could it could take his value in the other direction. Like th- this month could mean it's going to be a, a lot for him each sure. way. Yeah. So he's right. one of those guys to definitely keep an eye on. Yeah. As we right. will, as we always yeah. do. Yes. <laughs> all right. So that's all of the trades. That's all of the trades of the week. Um, that one again was from. User, sorry, I lost the tab from user Vegas GK. So thanks so much to both you and Amster. As always, if you want to be featured in the trade of week, just submit the trade on our site. And if we like it enough, if our users like it enough, we will talk about it. So now to finish out the show here, we have some updates to go over, don't we? Um, this uh-huh. time we went about things a little bit differently because just kind of scheduling conflicts on both of our ends. And so we got kind of a mix here of. Uh, I did some starting pitchers this time around, so I got a few of those guys to talk about. Um, I also did all the hitters. John prioritized the relievers, got to the rest of the starting pitchers as well. Um, I don't know if you have any kind of general themes or trends you want to start with here, John, or if you just kind of want to start going down our lists alternating like we usually do. Uh, sure, I'll just mention a few names. I don't have any general trends other than um, I believe you did Barrios and probably Marquez as well, and they both went up and – you know, and, and it's, you know, we talked a little bit about Marquez already and how he's probably not available. Um, and I think there's um, a case to be made that, you know, not only did they go up for, for reasons behind our model, but also because 
you know, they're going to be hard to pry away from their teams. The Twins probably mm-hmm. want to hold on to Burritos if they think they can compete against next year. Um, the one I mentioned earlier, Trevor Rogers, has just been skyrocketing because the way our model works is not only are we taking performance on the major league side, but we're also, as time goes on, and he's no longer a prospect as some of his you know, early prospect uh, estimates uh, kind of fade away, you know, the 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 numbers change so it's a blend so in in his case you know another month of excellent pitching means you know it's kind of a double benefit because he's mm-hmm. he's, he's he's getting both sides so um he's gone up like incredibly like to 80. Uh, zach wheeler um has been like almost a Gramian in the way he's been <laughs> pitching like it's to the point where his contract looks like soft you know like there's a lot of surplus there you know so um yeah, if the Phillies decide to tank, and I don't think they would trade Wheeler because I don't think they're gonna throw throw him away because they might want to compete again next year. But man, he's got some value now. Freddie Peralta, and oh, I mentioned him in the past, but it, he continues to outperform as a as a starter, or I shouldn't say outperform, but really like deliver the goods. And he signed that contract a year or two ago when he was more or less considered a reliever and it was a very cheap contract which means he continues to pile up the surplus it's just ridiculous um luis castillo has righted the ship he continues to perform well his value is starting to go back up speaking of the reds tyler maley's going back up and he's already he, we always thought high of him before okay. perhaps others in the public did uh, because there was potential there and now he's showing it and he's really blossoming uh, on the reliever side, um, we talked about Kimbrell. Uh, you know, I think Richard Rodriguez is maintaining his value. We'll see if he if he holds it based on the sticky stuff controversy. I think there's a rumor that he was using, but we'll see. Um, Ian Kennedy is likely to be moved. Um, he's holding. You know, you can get him pretty cheaply because he's older and he's he's a one trick pony. Um, uh, interestingly, Chad Green maybe if the Yankees, God forbid, become sellers, that's the name that's starting to be bandied about. Like they don't have any obvious pieces to sell, but Chad Green's name is starting to pop up, and his value is still high because he's just a he's a workhorse, but he's he's, he's excellent. His numbers, you know, he's not just a one guy inning guy for like any any fires it, and he's like and his numbers go up because of that. But he does that for two or three innings at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, my <clears throat> And and um, Jose Cisnero of the Tigers is, is starting to be mentioned as well as somebody. Um, he's been consistently good-ish, not great, but like he's not a closer necessarily on a good team. But he's a seventh inning guy that you can count on. Kind and with of some a, team control. Yeah, a little bit. So so there's a there's some, obviously the other obvious names: Trevor Rogers of the Twins. Uh, Taylor Cub- Rogers. I'm sorry, Taylor Rogers or Twins. There's like, only 14 years. different Rogers. <laughs> Assuming the uh, Angels give it a uh, throw in the towel, you know, Rizal Iglesias, uh, Michael Givens of the Rockies, and the, but you know these guys don't really have any value. Um, Andrew Chafin of the Cubs, if they're sellers, is another guy that's probably going to be moved. Same with Ryan Tepper. Uh, he have the MVP vote. Um, here's my sleeper of the week, though. Um, Zach Thompson of the Marlins. Like, who? Where did he come from? Um, I don't know if you looked at his numbers, but, man, he is lights out lately. And he's actually been starting, and he's putting up phenomenal numbers as a starter. Like, okay, where did he come from, first of all? Like, I'd never heard of him before this season. He was a non-prospect. He was, like, 27, 28 years old, and he's just firing. Um, the Marlins, interestingly, have a tendency not only to develop the the obvious starting pitchers like Trevor Rogers, who were top prospects, but guys out of the woodwork. Remember, Nick Anderson was also a Marlin before the Rays traded for him. Mm-hmm. 
So there's something in the water there where they they continue to kind of like every now and then they pump out a guy like you never heard of who's suddenly what he's doing what? So Zach Thompson name to keep an eye on. <clears throat> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and by the way, on the downside, sorry. Uh, name's going down. Dylan Bundy, terrible year, moved to the bullpen. His value has cratered. Blake Snell, even though he had a he was he's been really bad uh he's gone down to like the single digits bad um the padres for all of their trading for starting pitchers musgrove is i uh, weirdly the the ace of that staff now looks like nelson lamette continues to have injury issues they can't seem to count on him snell's been mediocre at best and his value has been going down so uh they may be in the market for a starter as well uh just when paddock got shelled last night um yeah yeah, so, you know, there's some issues there. Um, so they may be in the market for yet another starter. Okay, I'm done. Everyone, everyone's <laughs> going to be connecting them to Scherzer, no doubt. Yeah, right. Um, as far as my list goes, uh, let's start with some of the bigger trade chips here. Uh, I just want to mention Sonny Gray. It's a, it's a bit of a disappointing one. His value was already going down. I already had him tabbed as someone to talk about, and then just today he was placed back on the injured list. Mm. Um, so that one's rough. It's looking like the Reds missed a prime opportunity there, either in the offseason or... Yeah, most likely in the off season they were getting some hits on him. They maybe should have pulled the trigger on one of those. Hindsight's mm-hmm. twenty twenty, whatever. Uh, Marquez, as you mentioned, yes, he's going up even higher, <laughs> so it's making it even harder for them to trade him. Eduardo Escobar, whose name is buzzing a lot with the White Sox lately, and he's a lock to get traded, it seems like. Uh, he mm-hmm. went up a little bit in our last round. He's performing pretty well this season. Joey Gallo is going insane. The, the, I already had him identified as a guy to update, and he's gotten even better. Since mm-hmm. we updated him, he just keeps hitting homers every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't know if he does get traded. I don't know if they find a good fit for him. But there's going to be a lot of speculation there, and he's going to bring back a haul if they do. Yeah, that's where you use the word haul, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, another surprising guy that continues to trend up despite his contract situation um, is Starling Marte, as we spoke about a little bit earlier in the episode. Um, he just continues to perform even better and better. And even though he's an expiring free agent, his value went up. Um, Brian Reynolds, we've talked about before. He's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and he has all that cheap team control. And so he's a really attractive piece for a team like the Yankees. But he's going to cost a lot. <laughs> Again, the word haul there. If mm-hmm. you're getting a guy that's that's cheaper and under team control and he's going to fit you under the luxury tax, he's going to cost you more in prospects. It's just how and it he, he's right in the sweet spot, which is typically the peak mm-hmm. of trade value, where he's established himself now, and yet he's still pre-arb. So you're getting right. multiple years, and you know he's good. You can count on that, right? Mm-hmm. So, And he's cheap. So like that's that's a, that's gold. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle Schwarber, obviously a little bit sad now, but yeah. he was going way up before an, an indefinite hamstring injury, which is just about the worst thing that could have happened to him right there. Um, and then uh, Anthony Santander, uh, Santander, I always <laughs> go back and forth on that one. Santander, he's gone down. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like his 2020 was a bit more flash in the pan and. I was I had some doubts about him as he was his value was going up, but I mean you kind of got to trust the numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it looks more like this season, like he is just an average to slightly above average bat with average corner outfield defense, and that's mm-hmm. just not worth a ton on the mm-hmm. trade market. Um, Kyle Seeger has gone negative, and he's an important one to watch because of that, because he's really been kind of bouncing on both sides of the line there. And he has that player option for, or excuse me, he has a club option for 2022. 
if he's traded, it becomes a player option. So if you're trading for him, you either have to be confident that he's going to be worth that much in 2022 or that he's going to be so good that he declines the player option, which seems a little less likely. So yeah, it's really and... a two-year investment with him, and now that he's gone negative, it seems like a less attractive investment for any team. Yeah, and, and from the, the Marlins, or the Mariners, from the, excuse me. Yeah, and from the Mariners, just to chime in on this one, from the Mariners' <laughs> point of view, there's not really any incentive for them because he could just play out their season, right? And then mm-hmm. he's a free agent because that that team, the player option only applies if he's if he's traded, right? So so they have no incentive to trade him unless they're getting a profit, which they aren't. Right. They aren't right now. So. It's kind of a non-issue at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I want to talk, uh, this isn't necessarily so much on the, the, the probability to get traded angle of things, but just uh, a couple guys I need to give their dues because we've been talking about mm. updates and upgrades and everything, and people performing well, and we haven't really mentioned a couple of these guys too often. So staying in Baltimore uh, with Santander, Cedric Mullins is insane. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So much fun. Breakout. His, his value just keeps going higher and higher. Yeah. Um, a, a trio of catchers here. Max Stassi for the Angels. He's very good. Very underrated. He, he's healthy yeah. now and he's hitting well. And he's, yeah. a, he's a good defender as well. Yeah. What's not uh, the like? Yeah. I said trio of catchers. I meant quartet, apparently. Uh, Sean Murphy with Oakland. He's underrated, continues to be underrated. He brings the whole package, but none of it looks super flashy if you just glance at his slash line. You know, he's hitting low 200s, OBP low 200s, slugging low to mid four, or excuse me, OBP low 300s, slugging low to mid 400s, but he's he's got power, he's got plate discipline, and he's got defense, and that's yeah, right. a really attractive package for a catcher. Mm-hmm. Omar Narvaez. Oh, uh, yeah, I saw that. He just keeps getting better, and he's even improving defensively, so that's really... Mm-hmm. amazing to watch uh, he, he was kind of one of our first test cases in a way mm-hmm. um, he, he was an initial trade kind of when we launched um, and he's his value's gone up since then uh, Will Smith with the Dodgers he might be the best catcher in baseball he's so good he's just so good at everything yeah um, while we're talking about the Dodgers uh, they've had a little bit of uh, misfortune on, on some of their top guys both Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger have gone down fairly significantly um, with Betts, you know, he's guaranteed the large contract, and he's been good this year, but he hasn't been the Mookie Betts that you expect when you sign that deal. I have all the faith in the world that he'll bounce back. There's no reason to believe he's suddenly bad. Um, I Actually, I take that back. There's a little bit of a reason. I did see some speculation and, and some reports that say that people with smaller frames, athletes with smaller frames, uh, maybe they hit their peak, decline a little bit sharper, decline a little earlier maybe, and a little more aggressively. Um, so I guess that's something to keep a little bit of an eye on with him, but he's just so talented that I'm I'm not going to bet against him ever. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and Bellinger along the same lines. We've seen him have some swings in his performance, and it is a pretty small sample for him this year. He did have some injuries. Um, but he just just wanted to point out that he's down a little bit. Um, Marcelo Zuna is down for reasons that we won't get into, but both for both for performance on the field and off the field, his value took a hit. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeremy Mercedes was optioned to AAA. <laughs> so after that huge start, he really just went ice cold, and now he's a minor leaguer. So <laughs> his value tanked a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just looking through my list, making sure there's nobody else I want to talk and, about. And, 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 and just to, that's why we blend the prospect value mm-hmm. with the major league value, because these things tend to kind of you know even out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, As time goes on, pitchers find hitters weak spots. And so a hot start like that, you know, is a, 
off in a flash in the pan until the pitchers figure it out, and then he goes back to what we thought he was, and that's what's happening there. Yeah, we his value really <laughs> was a, a bit of a point of contention, I'd imagine, uh, during that kind of first hot month where I believe before he made the majors, if he was even in our system at all, he was like yeah, he was under one probably. <laughs> I, he, I was in, he was in. He was He was around two or so because oh, okay. he was the prospect guys clearly saw him as kind of an older sort of DH only type, and they're right yeah. about that. You yeah. know, one trick pony, lots of power, no defense, no mm-hmm. no anything else. Yeah, and then he <laughs> spends a month hitting 400 and setting the world on fire, and yeah. And your immediate reaction would be like, okay, no way are the White Sox ever trading this guy. And, and you might be right that they're never going to trade a guy when he's at that level. They're never going to find a match on value. But we had his value as still being in the single digits at that time. Yeah, right. It went up, obviously, because he was going nuts. But there, there's some some trepidation there. There's some caution there with a guy like that who's never done it before. And this is exactly why. Because more often than not, those guys come back to Earth. And in this case, he came back to Earth in a big way. And it just tanked mm-hmm. um last three guys i want to talk about very briefly um mike trout continues to make me sad on these updates i have <laughs> i have full confidence that once he is back and healthy the numbers will start going in the correct direction again they'll start going up because he continues to his production continues to outpace what he's getting paid mm-hmm. but while he's sitting on the injured list not producing the only way for his value to go is down um Fernando Tatis, on the other hand, he's insane. <laughs> he is firmly ah. entered into the Trout Acuna territory of we gotta <laughs> we gotta do something different here because uh, I don't think this guy actually has reasonably has 500 million in surplus trade value. No, no. <laughs> I don't I don't think that's something we should. Uh... That's not tradable. They're in the untradable zone, right? <laughs> yes, yes, and not just the untradable because the the cranky guys who run the site wanted to put their availability as none. Yeah, and untradable because no team can conceivably trade them for for them right no. now it's just not no. going to happen they, they don't have the assets they've exceeded the yep. value of assets so we've had to yep. adjust for that yeah <clears throat> um and last one i'm sure i've mentioned him in the past but i'm just a big fan of his jesse winker went up a yeah bit right i love yeah. the guy i've loved him for a couple of years now and it's nice to see that he's just absolutely crushing the ball and he's he seems knock on wood like he's sustaining it it's not just one of those you're mean Mercedes hot months and back to reality things. He's, he's a masher. And a, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really and, and, and much like I mentioned Tyler Mealy, uh, who earlier, um, who like, we thought there was value there and some people questioned it. We had the same reactions quite a bit, like in the off season, people wanted to trade Winker because like, Oh, he's not worth that much. Well, he is actually. And I'm glad to see we're, we've been proven right on that one as well. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that's all the names that I have that really, stood out to me i mean there's a handful of others here kyle lewis went down a little bit um mike mustak is down mm. hunter dozier that extension was kind of weird Ooh. at the time and he continues to go down yeah uh jp crawford is really good at baseball that's fun um yeah, there's another underrated guy yeah, yeah our model really likes him and i think other people are starting to catch on he is a better player than you realize mm-hmm. uh bobby bradley who's a name i hadn't thought of he's been solid right. for cleveland this year i haven't watched much cleveland baseball but he's been solid for them as a, as a slugger kind of get he's getting some starts some bench appearances that kind of thing yep. um <clears throat> turtle man williams astudio he has gone down oh, minor leagues. Yeah, yeah that makes me a little bit sad <laughs> yeah okay um should we talk for one second about adam frazier he went up a little bit more i noticed yes. um and obviously he's very likely to get traded this this month um so I know a lot of people are skeptical because 
wow, is he really that good? <laughs> you know, do we have to give up that much prospect value to get him? Um, but I think that's he's probably his peak right now. Like I think we have him at 16 right now, and that's I don't see him getting any higher. I'm, I could be wrong, but um, but yeah, he's having a he's all star. He's having a great year, and and you've got another year of control left, and he's real. He's just a gritty. You know, he's got everything. Right? You know, you you want a, sort of a integral sort of everyday starter that's going to help your team, whether it's the White Sox or some other team. Fraser is fascinating from our perspective uh, because I feel like a lot of the more casual, not quite as in tune with the trade market type people, and I'm going to lump in that group, the John Heyman's, Buster Olney's of the world, mm-hmm. um, they seem like they're going to use the H word with him <laughs> and say that, oh, he's hitting so well, he's going to bring the Pirates a haul. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to think he's he's worth more than he is. And then we have his value where we do because, A, it's the number our system spit out, but also because we have to pretty aggressively um, adjust for position, especially with primary second baseman, just with the trend we've noticed in the market with guys like Colton Wong not getting as much as we think they deserve. And, yeah. and the, the list goes on. He's the first one that comes to mind, but the list goes on there. Jonathan Scope, all, all these guys that are... Cesar Hernandez. Prim- yeah, yeah <coughs> primarily second baseman that don't get what they deserve and, and or what the model raw numbers say they deserve based on our inputs. Um, so we've had to kind of aggressively temper him down already. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, did we adjust him the right amount there? Is he, or do we over-adjust him? Should he be even lower than he is? Because he, teams also are viewing him as like, yeah, he's a right. second baseman utility guy who's having a hot month and maybe he'll have a couple months and help us down the stretch, but we don't expect a ton from him. Mm-hmm. So... he's going to be really interesting to watch from that perspective, from our kind of scorekeeping perspective to kind of gauge, okay, last off season, we learned a lot more about second baseman. We learned that we weren't aggressive enough with guys like Wong and Hernandez. Let's see if we're doing it right now. Yeah. And and Adam Frazier is kind of our test case there. There you go. Yeah, I agree. All right. Do you have uh, anything else to get into today? Uh, No, that's a lot. I think we'll have yeah. more to talk about next week as well. Yes, and, and that's a good point there. Next week, we are switching to weekly episodes for the rest of this month. Um, we're still kind of working out our programming for the trade deadline itself and what we might do around that, before that, after that, whatever. But expect a lot of good content, a lot of consistent content from us uh, for the rest of this month. And we'll, we'll have you every step of the way. We'll have every single transaction and every single rumor covered. And <laughs> you, you don't want to miss it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. This is going to be a really, really exciting month of July. I can't wait to see uh, what the trade deadline has in store for us. Same here. I'm rubbing my hands. It's going to be fun. <clears throat> all right. So that'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, as I said, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We will be back next week to break down more news, more updates, maybe talk a little all-star stuff. We'll see what happens there. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the season. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.